this morning we're starting a new series on the book of the letter really of Colossians and I'm extremely excited about it so please forgive me I get excited about just these things it's a privilege for me to be able to share with you I counted an absolute honor to stand here and to share with you from the Word of God I do not take this lightly spend hours normally as we before we come here all of us before we arrive here we we would have spent hours and just saying God please help us that we wouldn't communicate from the flesh but help us to communicate as the Spirit of God leads us and so as we've been thinking through this uh, this series as elders we really felt that there's something specific that God would want us to tap into and and uh, talk about as we go through the series and we don't know how long this would be it could take us till the end of the year um, there's so much in this letter to talk about and the purpose of us going through a series of preaching is so that we can kind of be focused together um, and and it when we go through a book, it will also assist us as the people of God to read the book or this letter together and, and um, just discover things in that that would help us become the men and women that God wants us to be. And so simply, um, the series is called Colossians, Jesus plus nothing. In other words, we're saying that Jesus and what Jesus did was completely enough. Nothing more needs to be done. For us to experience salvation, for us to experience God, for us to be in a relationship with God, for us to inherit eternal life, it is Jesus plus nothing. And as we journey through the book of Colossians, we will find just various ways in which Paul helps us understand that Jesus plus nothing is the way which we need to live. And it's not just applicable to us and how we ought to live our lives, but how we communicate the gospel. The gospel, the good news. How do we present our lives as Christians to others? It's Jesus plus nothing. It is not Jesus plus attendance. Jesus plus this. Jesus plus that. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And so I trust that we will see that in our journey together. I want to, in terms of introducing, that's really what we're going to be doing this morning, I'm going to introduce to you this letter and, and just give you three reasons uh, or three issues from the letter that we would need to talk about that will help us kind of journey onward. And to start off, I kind of want to ask you just to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. Because herein we're going to find a little bit of context in terms of who and why and, and who wrote the letter and what it was written for. We find in, in Acts chapter 19, by the way, very good, I will keep on emphasizing this, bring your Bible, if you have it on your phone, open your phone, read with me, it's a great thing to do because we celebrate the word, we honor the word, not as a religious tool, it is, hey, this is what we need in our lives. So Paul in this chapter 19, finds himself in a city called Ephesus. Paul was this man that God had used to go into a, a portion of the world at that time where mostly non-Jews were, were living. 
And, and God had said to Paul, I'm going to take you to the Gentiles, non-Jews, and I'm going to help you, I'm going to use you to, to preach to them the gospel. And because most of the people at the time that had heard about the gospel were the Jews from Jerusalem and, and Israel area. And God said to Paul, hey, I'm going to take you beyond. So he goes into what is known today as the area around Turkey. And, um, and so he finds himself in a city called Ephesus. And, and the whole chapter here is about him preaching the gospel. And he stayed there for about three years and established the church. And there was leadership established. And he had a very fond relationship with them. And, and you can read through it at your own time in, uh, through this chapter. But according to church history, we find that during this time that Paul was in Ephesus, there's a man that was from a city else, elsewhere, in another place, that had been visiting um, Ephesus at the time. And his name was Epaphras. Epaphras. So Epaphras is, is in the city and he hears what Paul, and we don't know exactly how it happened, but Paul is preaching the gospel and Epaphras realizes, wow, this is what I need in my life. And he, and he gets saved and he recognizes that Jesus is Lord and, and Epaphras receives this good news in his life and his life has changed. He then goes back to where he's from. Epaphras moves to a city not too far from there, probably about 40 to 60 kilometers, a city called Colossae. He moves to, back to his hometown, Colossae. That's where he was from, and eventually he also died in the city. And as he finds himself back at home, the beautiful thing is this. What he received in Ephesus, he doesn't keep to himself. He does the same as what Paul did in Ephesus. He preaches the gospel in Colossae. And, long story short, a church eventually comes from that. Epaphras getting saved over here. He goes back, preaches the gospel here. I love that. It's not like, oh, you've got to go to seminary for five years or Bible school for 10 years or whatever, and then you're qualified to preach the gospel. This man just goes back. He's so overwhelmed by what he received. He doesn't keep it to himself. Good principle. Uh-huh. Whatever good you've got, don't keep it to yourself. Amen. Okay. Let's start with a low amen then this morning. We can build up to a higher one. Like, no amen. It's like just a little one. Keep, don't keep what you got. Give it out. Epaphras does that. And so we find then, if we go to the letter of, of Colossae, of Colossians, the letter of Paul, that he writes to the church in Colossians, we see that the name of Epaphras appears. We see in verse 7 of chapter 1, now that you are in Colossians, Amen, a little bit higher. Amen, thank you. And we see that his, his name is mentioned. Paul says, just as you learned, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow ser- servant. And later on in verse, or chapter 4 and verse 12, it also uses or refers to him, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. So Paul refers to this man, Epaphras, which seemingly was the guy who planted the church and started this move in the city of Colossae. All right? What we further notice from church history is that Epaphras, after having seen this church grow in the city of Colossae, notices that there are certain things that have gone a little bit off target. Some of the people have brought in some values, some ideas, and have started mixing it with Christianity. And so Epaphras is a little bit worried. He's like, oh my goodness, how do I deal with this? Some, 
some philosophy, some views on how to live and how to do things. And that has kind of crept in because Colossae was a, was a city on a trade route. So a lot of people would come through the city. It's kind of like very cosmopolitan. Lots of different nationalities came through there. And they brought with them different ideas. You can imagine. All right? And so in, this, in the city, with all these different ideas, you have a, a church that is established that is also um, influenced by all of those different patterns of thinking. Um, Ephesus is worried. They're like, no way, this is not great. I've got to go see Paul and talk to him about this. Paul's obviously a, a well-known figure in the church environment. And so Colossae, a city around Turkey area, Paul is in prison in Rome, Italy. All right, Turkey, Italy. How far is that? That's far. I mean, if you just quickly measure it, it's kind of like a thousand kilometers or so. Give or take a few hundred. All right? But it's far. It's not something that you go see somebody about traveling all that way about a petty little item. It's like, Paul, I need to go see Paul because, you know what, when we meet on Sundays, people are always late. Epaphras thinking. It's not relevant here. But Epaphras is thinking, Gee, now how do I deal with this? If that could be used as an example of why he had to go all the way, more than a thousand kilometers to see Paul. Do you think he would have gone to see Paul about that? I've got to change. How do I change the mindset of the people that they will be on time on a Sunday so that we can, hey, we come together to worship the Lord. I know that in Colossae, they're always on time when they go to work. Yeah, they do, they do. Because um, I see them. Hey, me, Epaphras, we walk around in the, and they're always on time. The guy who's the gatekeeper, he has to be there at 6 o'clock on a Monday. He's always on time. But why is it that on a Sunday he's like always late? No, maybe I should go talk to Paul about this and get, a, get some advice. No, he doesn't use that as a reason. It could be a good reason to talk to Paul about, but anyway, he, he, is, he has other issues that he has to deal with. Because this thinking of the world has come in into the church um, community, and he's worried about how it is actually diluting the gospel. So he tricks to go and see Paul, who's in prison, he's in house arrest, chained to another uh, a God. Can't go anywhere, but he can see people. And so as he talks to Paul about the issues, Paul says, okay. Paul's never been to Colossae. He's never met these people, but he's heard about them through Epaphras now. And Epaphras says, hey, Paul, I'm really seriously worried about what's happening back home. You know, this is this and whatever, and he's not talking about them being on time or not on time. By the way, it's a good thing to be on time, just so that you can just get that off my chest. <laughs> just got to carry on with the rest of the message. Really great to be on time on Sundays. Thank you. Bless you. Love you lots. Anyway, um, so Paul sits down. And in response to what he heard from Epaphras, he writes this letter to the Christians in Colossae. And, and you can see that when we read Ephes oh, Ephesians, Colossians 4 verse 12, he refers to Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. So Epaphras is with Paul at that time. Right? He says, hey, he greets you. He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. So he has you on his heart. He cares about you. And that's why he has come. He's not come to, you Paul, I just want to tell you about these people back home. 
Oh, they nasty and they do this to me. He's not coming with that heart. He's coming with that, man, I care about these people. And I can see there's diversions coming. I see that there's some stuff coming into their lives that are not helpful. And help me, Paul. Paul says, okay, I'll write a letter. And there's a man called Tachikus, who actually is the postmaster. He takes this letter, plus Ephesians, a letter to the Ephesians, and the letter to Philemon. He takes on his journey and delivers it to these churches. So that's the background. And um, just gives you a heart of, of a man who's in prison, who's never met the people that he's writing this letter to. He speaks to a guy who's very involved with them. His heart is touched. Man, it just helps you get a perspective of why it is important for us not just to think about ourselves. And not even to think about the people that we know well, but to think of people that we've never met. And at this very moment, there are people across the world that are suffering because of their faith in God. That you and I have never met and probably will never meet. But imagine we don't have to write letters to them. But we can offer prayers for them. Say, Jesus, there are people in North Korea that are dying and willing to die for their faith. There are people in Saudi Arabia that can't even pursue you because if they do, they will be persecuted and completely excommunicated from their families. There are people in Pakistan, Iraq, Iran, Many places across the world that have never tasted some of the freedom we have here in Zimbabwe to worship the Lord. You have more today than many people will ever have in their entire life in terms of expressing a freedom of faith. All we see is the bond note. All we see is the dust. But what we don't see is what we already have. We have so much to be thankful for. May God help us not to get so bogged down by the dust around us. But may God help us to see what we have in this nation. Much more than what anybody, many people have in many countries in the world. So three things that Paul addresses as he writes this letter from prison. How's that, hey? How great would it be to receive letters in prison? I remember when I was in the army, I received letters from my parents. I mean, at one stage, we couldn't phone and whatever else, and it was great just to receive something. It's like, man, wonderful to hear from the outside world, as we called it. Yeah, Paul is writing from prison. He's not moaning and complaining, why don't I get something? But the other guys, hey, I've done a lot of good work. I've been to so many people. And it's so easy that we can become so, so overwhelmed by our situations. Say, so, well, I'm in prison. No, you're not. We're not in a prison. We're free. We're absolutely free. And it's that freedom that we sing about, that we praise our Jesus for. 
But our freedom that we have is not just for ourselves. Our freedom is there so that we can write letters to people that aren't in freedom. And there are many people in this nation that are living in prisons, not physical prisons, but prisons of, of fear and of anxiety and of, and of sin that they that they caught up in. And as we find ourselves free, although we're in a confound world where there's stuff happening around that's not nice, but if we are, from our freedom, can write them letters and speak to them and help them and express to them the joy that there is in knowing Jesus, maybe they too can become free and be released from prison. You're not in a prison, my friend. You're not in a prison. If you know Jesus, you're free. And you have freedom to share. So Paul, if I may just give you three things. Paul does the following. He addresses the problem. So the first question I want to ask it, what was the problem? Then we're not going to go immediately. I just want to summarize it quickly for you. He, had, he firstly asks this question or he addresses this question, what was the problem? That, that Epaphras really came all the way from Colossae to him for. Second thing that he addresses is how did he, how did he address this problem? Because if the problem is, is, is submitted to him saying, Epaphras saying, listen, Paul, all this stuff, I don't know. How does, he, how does he deal? How does he address the problem? And then lastly, we want to look at what did Paul hope to accomplish in addressing the problem? What was the ultimate aim? Why does he address the problem? And so first of all, we're not going to find enough time to go through all of this today. But it's important for us to lay a foundation. To, um, to see where we need to go. And even if I have to kind of pull this out longer than just one sermon, that's fine. So the first question is, what was the problem? I remember recently, a couple of weeks ago, some of you know that Sumin and I had the privilege of going to, to some of the churches that we are connected to in the Czech Republic. And when we got there, and we started driving around visiting these churches. Um, a friend of ours, very dear man who leads a church there, his name's Jakub. Um, he always makes his vehicle available for us to use. And so we drove around and, and I noticed that on my left-hand side, because it's a left-hand drive car, on the side of the door here, on the inside, there's this little container. And inside the container is this little device. It's that big little plastic device with, it's an ice scraper. So that when in summer, when in winter, when there's snow and you need to clean the windscreen, they can just simply use this device to quickly clean it. Because you can imagine that if your car had been standing outside and there's ice on it, you can't see. Many of us don't understand anything of that because we don't have snow here. So just kind of bear with me. Imagine. Um, and so he has this thing available always at his disposal that should there be a need to scrape off stuff, he, need, he could do that. That's something that's hidden somewhere in the house. I kind of like the same picture I had when I, as I was reading through Colossians. Like, there's stuff that comes and settles on the church and on believers. Stuff that's not helpful. Just wrong perspectives. Wrong perceptions about who God is and about what salvation is and about the good news and about the life that God's called us and it settles on us and it clogs up this view of this windscreen that we need to look at and engage God with. God wants us to let the Holy Spirit come like a scraper, just scrape off that stuff. 
that so often comes. Because we live in a world, we read the news, we watch the news, we hear stories, we, we, we're so open, and, and, and that's the reality of, of life. I mean, social media and all that stuff, it's just messages and ideas and worldly thinking that comes and settles on us, and it clogs up this, this vision that we ought to have of God. And God wants to come and clean us and help to have the vision clearer. And that's what seemingly what was the situation here for the church in Colossae, is that stuff had come and clogged up the vision and the perspective that they needed to have of God. And so we find that, that God is so committed to us having clear picture and vision of Him that He gives us an entire letter to use to keep the windscreen clean. And so there was a problem in this church. And believe me, don't just quickly jump onto the thinking that, gee, these guys are bad. How could they have allowed this to come and settle on them? It happens today too. So before we just judge, remember that everything in the Word yeah, is given for us to learn from and to be equipped from. It's not just to, oh, have you read this story? Oh, poor them. It's bad, isn't it? No, it's so that you and I can learn and apply it for our lives today because it's relevant. Say with me the word relevant. It's relevant for us. That's why you, you have it here. If it's not relevant, I'm not going to do it because I love this Bible. You just tear it out. But it is relevant for us. That's why it's good for, edu for edification and encouragement and teaching for us to go through this. And not just to skim over it. But to see that God wants to speak to us as his people from this letter today still. As much as 2,000 years ago, Paul, in about AD 50, 51, around about there, he wrote this letter. It's still very relevant for us today. Okay? Because it was kept for us to learn from. So don't ignore it. That, amen now a little bit higher, please. Amen. Great, great. Just asking. So... So here is where we start addressing the real reason for, for Paul writing this letter. It does seem that something had gone wrong. And in this case, doctrinally. Doctrine is a set of beliefs. So a set of beliefs about God had started going wrong. And Epaphras was worried about that. And again, as we said, he tracks across to, to Paul to talk to him. Infiltrated the lives of the believers. So just two things that, that, that struck me as I, as I was just reading and starting to read through the book of, uh, or the letter of Ephesians is that, first of all, error is possible in any situation. None of us are immune against error. <laughs> None of us are necessarily always going to stay without error. We can read something even from the Bible, and make a deduction that could be wrong. Just like, oh, gee, that's not helpful. You, you always tell us, read the Bible. And now this. Well, the reality is that we are human beings, and that we have different ways of thinking, and that we've grown up in a certain way, and whether you've grown up religiously or not, there's certain things that determine how you think, and when you read the Bible, it's that set of pattern of the, that pattern of thinking that often determines how you interpret these things. 
And then you have the world around you that also has no idea about the, what the Bible says, and they come with their thinking to you, and they say, oh, what are you worried about that stuff, man? Just do whatever you want to do, because the world is free. And that thinking outside infiltrates, so error is possible. But what I love about the story again is that Epaphras, recognizing that there's error in the church, doesn't just sit there and thinking, well, either it's not a big thing, oh, it's not a big deal, it's just, I mean, it will go away. No, Epaphras says, no, this is a big deal. And, and I need to do something about it. And he does. And so this is the second thing that struck me. It's not only well, is there error, but secondly, there's help. We don't need to be on our own. We don't need to try to manage through our own thinking. We can rely on each other as much as we obviously rely on Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, please teach me your ways. We can go to people and say, hey, could you help me? I, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking that. Well, what do you think? That's why the word is very clear in Proverbs 11 verse 14. You can write this down. It's a wonderful verse. It says that there's safety in the counsel of many counselors, many people. That when we isolate ourselves and we think, I'm going to wrestle through this problem myself, and I'm going to deal with it, and I'm currently in Zimbabwe, and I know because I love this thing that we say about Zimbabweans, that we always make a plan, but I also don't like it, because it means that we could try to make it on our own. And not depend on God. So watch out that that, that, that that strength doesn't become a weakness. And so here it is. A man is aware of error. But he doesn't try to deal with it on his own. He goes to Paul. And that's, Paul is not the issue. The issue is counsel of many. That we say, hey Kilton, I, I'm going through this. Would you perhaps just, I want to talk to you about this. Help me. Just your, your wisdom is needed. I need your advice, wherever it may be. And that focus why we do not preach uh, an I am message or a, a talk about a community of isolation. We can never live isolated lives as believers. And we together today, we're about a hundred and whatever in this wall, but we can be isolated. Because you may see yourself as part of a community this morning, but your community life is perhaps just an hour and a half long. The rest of the week you're on your own. The, the decisions that you make are made from your own premise and your own perspectives. And that there's not an interdependence of, hey, I need brothers, I need people around me to just help me work through these things and get their perspective. And it's not like you're, you're, you're just a little baby, you, don't, you, you can't do things on your own. That's all, you, don't phone me about what shirt you need to wear. It's ridiculous. You know that. But hey, when, when you start seeing things and, and you, you're like, you start doubting God even, you're like, man, I'll, I can work through this on my own. Hey, there's something that's seriously going wrong. Hey, you need people. We need one another. And so I, I encourage you towards a lifestyle of interdependence. The Bible is very clear, right from the beginning to the end, that we need one another. Relationships are so key. And I know that many people will say, well, you know, I've tried the church and the church has done this and the church has done that and the church has hurt me and whatever else. And I know that it happens and 
church has hurt me too. This is not a great place for amen, okay? So like, just... <laughs> 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 it's like, you know, oh, sure. That's a great time to say that. No, the church hurts us because the church is full of people huh, that are imperfect. So I've hurt you. I'm sorry. I really am. And I'm not saying that, you know, mockingly and flippantly. I, I, I'm, no, I have hurt people. But I, I cannot deny the fact that there's no alternative for us to live our lives here on earth but through the church as believers. And I'm not talking about five different churches. I'm talking about a body of believers together in relationship. And praise the Lord for the other churches. And I'm so thankful that King City Church is not the only church in Bulawayo. It'll be crazy. God has called the church together to make a difference. But we need each other in a relationship with one another. Not on a Sunday only, but in a genuine, meaningful way. And so please, this point comes to a heading where it says, be part of people's lives. Engage with people. Submit one to another. Learn from each other. So this is what happens. The problem was there. And, and so um, Epaphras need, rec recognizes that he needs, he needs input and he needs other people's perspective. And so he goes to, goes to Paul. He goes to him about the problem. And the problem is addressed in various ways. Colossians 2 verse 4, I'll just give you a couple of... And, and on our journey through Colossians, we're not going to major on the detail of each problem. We're going to talk about it in principle, that there are problems that could come up. We find various verses referring to that. And, and the first time that it really is addressed is in chapter 2 and verse 4, where it talks about plausible arguments that, that Paul uses. He uses those words. He says... I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So in other words, he warns them about the direct and dangerous threats in their midst. It seems as if he was warning them about people who have the ability to talk with persuasive words, but lack basing it on the truth of God's word. And we do find that, that, that there are people that are great orators. Amen? They, they just have a way of, of expressing stuff and, 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 and saying things and, and, and just, you know, explaining stuff. And Paul is saying, listen, there are people in, it seems like what I hear from Epaphras is that there are people amongst you that have the incredible ability to argue things. They have, they have a wonderful way to express themselves. He says, watch out, because the arguments that they come with are not necessarily helpful. You've got to be very aware of the fact that whatever is preached is not necessarily the truth. I'm telling you that we often, we, we use the internet as a very, very authoritative um, form of information. The internet says, or whatever it was, people listen more to Oprah Winfrey these days than anybody else. Well, Oprah Winfrey says, and I mean, 
I'm not dissing her. I'm just saying, we put people on a pedestal because they have this, somehow they have an audience. And when they have an audience, we believe that whatever they say is the truth. They come with plausible arguments. And so, did you know what he said? And we're like, that's the gospel truth. And it seemed like in Colossae that what was happening. That there were people who had incredible skill to talk and to explain things. But not all of it seemed to have been the truth. That's why, first of all, your first reference of the truth is the Word of God. If people do not speak from this, don't even listen. I'm not telling you to not listen about the news or whatever, but about direction in life. If they cannot give you direction in full life from the scriptures, then why would you want to listen to them? Come on. Come on. Eventually, our screens, our windscreens become so clogged up with all this rubbish that we can't see anything. We're driving around. I know where I'm going because I can't see. And often we live lives like that. We have no sense of direction. We don't know where we're going because we're listening too much. And so Paul warns people about this. He says, guys, you need to ask others. You need to inquire. You need to read. You need to study for yourself. In the second Timothy 2 verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, he says, hey, you need to do your best to be a person who rightly handles the truth. Come on, pursue the truth. Don't just listen to what others say. That's why, folks, if, if we build a church as King City Church that is dependent upon what the preacher from a Sunday only says, then you become dependent upon what... Yeah. And so your food during the week or for the week is determined by what is said from here. But you do not go on your own and investigate and study and dive deep and dig deep into the Word of God yourself. You did, you're just dependent upon what is said from here. That's inadequate for your spiritual growth, for your spiritual vitality. You need more than just the time up here on a Sunday. And as you go on your own and you discover things and you're like, man, I'd love to know more about this. Go and read up and study and ask. Love that. We, we try to have a book table here. And you know what we have seen? Is that unless we bring books that are appealing in general to needs that we have, none of the books get sold. If we bring books that are about doctrine and about belief and about who Jesus is, there's little interest. It's alarming a bit. I'm not saying that you're bad. I'm just saying, and I know that books cost money. I'm just saying, we need to dig more into who God is. And as a church, we'd like to help one another about that. So that you will not be swayed by every doctrine or every belief that comes through town. But that you can base your faith upon the solid foundation of who Jesus is. And so when we present the gospel to you, even us, we are not perfect in what we say. Judge this. But you've got to judge it according to something. If you have nothing to judge it, you'll believe everything that is just presented. And by God's grace, we trust that most of it is truth. But unless you have a, a standard in your own life, you will just believe everything. And you go on the internet, the latest 
is this, listen to that guy. And nowadays it's just so freely available through WhatsApp messages and whatever else. And have you seen what these guys are doing? And listen to that message and listen to this podcast. And, and it's great. It's wonderful. But guys, we need to have some standard. And that seemingly is what Paul is arguing here for. He said, hey, it's Jesus plus nothing. And this is one of those preachers that we don't feel like, oh, that makes me feel so good. It's like, man, goosebumps all over the body. It's like, hey, we're speaking to the heart stuff here because we care about you. We care about your foundation of faith. And we need to build into each other's lives, not, hey, avoid this and avoid that. Pursue this, rather. And so when Paul goes through dealing with the problems, he has to deal with some issues. But most of it in a Colossian, in the book of Colossians letter, he deals with what we need to pursue, what we need to aim at. And so this morning, I'm not going to finish this preach at all. Because we're only looking at some of these issues. And, and I want to ask you um, that, that you will open up your heart for what God wants to say to us and to you through this book. So Paul, just in summary, Paul has this man who comes to him about a problem. And he, and he expresses the problem. He highlights the problem. And there are many other problems that we will look at still. Paul highlights the problem. Paul then says, hey, how could we deal with this problem? What is the best way to deal with this problem? Do we, do we fight the people or the, or the messengers? Do we, do we tell people, no, not this and no, not that? There's a specific way in which he deals with the problem. And he deals with it by presenting Christ to the people. And then at the end of it, uh, throughout the book rather, the reason for him addressing the problem is found. Why doesn't he want us to sit with this problem in our midst? And then he comes up with various arguments. And he says, like Epaphras was saying, as he was talking about Epaphras, he said, Epaphras wants you guys fully established in God. And Paul does the same. He uses words like, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be built up in him. I want you to be established in him. I fight for you, Paul says, so that you will be strong in God. So the problem, this, this mindset, this philosophy came so that it could destroy our foundation. And Paul says, I'm fighting against that, but I'm fighting for this by presenting Christ to you. That's the book of Colossians. We'll deal with it in a little bit more detail in the next couple of weeks. But folk, won't you just start reading and studying and inquiring? Say, God, please speak to me from Colossians. I want to find revelation in there straight from you. And it was great. We're going to be sharing about it on Sundays. But I want to. And I know many of you would be on your own journey through whatever book it may be in the Bible. That's great. But could I ask you just to add this and let us journey together? Is that all right? The amen could be loudest now, perhaps. <laughs> so um, that's great. We, we, sh we go through these things. Because we want to see Jesus fully established in our lives. And the right understanding and perspective of who Jesus is formed in us. 
so that the lifestyle that then is based from that is God-honoring. And so hence, we go through these journeys to help us with that. So Father, I thank you that the Bible is incredibly exciting. And sometimes when we just open up, when we start reading two, three verses, it doesn't always make sense. But when we just kind of pan out a little bit, zoom out, and we read a little bit wider, God, it just starts making huge sense. Even the, the, the complaints of what people would write about in the Bible starts making sense because we see their heart. And we, we read a little bit deeper. And so I pray for us as a church that as we journey through Colossians, that it will be like that. Jesus, there's so much that we need to learn about you from this letter. And I thank you that it has been preserved for us over many, many years. I pray that the, the reason why it's been preserved and kept will not be missed by us just reading through it and, and skipping the true value of it. So I pray for your grace. For us as a church and for preachers, Lord God, every person that will get up on the stage, that you will help us. I thank you also now that as we consider the beautiful sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to, to celebrate that fully. I honor you, my King. Amen, Jesus. Amen.